So five years ago, in the life of this church, we were introducing a new pastor. His name was David Midwood. Many of you knew him. And three years ago, October the 3rd, he went home to be with the Lord, and we miss him a lot. But I remember a story, a true story, that was confirmed to me uh, just moments ago. When, when Pastor David started with us, people were really connecting with his preaching ministry. And one man went to him and said, hey, that first sermon you preached about how God you know, shakes us up. He said, I felt like my whole life was being shaken up at that time. And I felt like when you were preaching, God was speaking right to my heart. He said, then you preached another sermon on, on um, conflict. And I was having all this conflict in my family. And you were talking about how to resolve conflict. And, and it just it felt like God was speaking right to my heart. He said, what are you preaching next week, Pastor David? And David said, well, I'm preaching about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Be very, very careful this week. <laughs> and someone else just moments ago said, do you think you should explain more what a eunuch is? And I said, no. You know, people can Google that or whatever. But essentially, <laughs> he felt like it was necessary. He said, it's not a family Sunday. The kids are not in here. So essentially, from what we can understand, this man is uh, from North Africa. He was the CFO of a nation in charge of a lot of um, money and close to the royal family. And to get that type of a position, you had to often voluntarily uh, choose to become castrated at that point so that you wouldn't you know, be messing with the royal family and that you'd be focused on your, your job. So that's a, a difficult choice that this person has perhaps made. Um, anyway, that's why that's person thought needed more explanation. Um, today, we are going to consider aspects, considering the story, aspects of how this man, an African official, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And whenever we talk about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, I get excited. I get excited because when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's a miracle. God has done a miracle that somebody has gone from death to life, that that's per, that person becomes a living miracle that God has rescued them. And it reminds me of my story, that when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, that I was brought from death to life, and that I'm a miracle. And when you hear about people coming to faith, it reminds you that you are a miracle of God. Or if you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, and you are just sort of exploring these ideas of faith, you're a potential miracle waiting to happen. Praise God. So I get excited. Um, so I like, I, I love this topic. I could also, so I'm calling this message, how can I understand the words of, the, of this uh, Ethiopian man? How can I understand these things? I also could have called this sermon, Why I Love Alpha. Alpha is uh, a, an experience that this church we've been doing for many, many years. We've been promoting it and inviting people to come check it out. Uh, Alpha is an opportunity to explore Christian faith, to explore Jesus, the meaning of life, who is Jesus, what does it all mean, over 10 weeks of interactive uh, connecting with others, and we have meals together, and just explore these ideas. It's for people who are not Christians, who do not know Jesus, who want to explore these types of, um, these types of issues and ask questions about the faith. It's also for new Christians or people who are kind of reconnecting with their Christian faith and and, and growing in their faith and um, they want to learn more. But it's also for people who are kind of stuck in their faith. Maybe you're not experiencing God as you'd like or something's missing and you you want to just sort of 
learn it again and, and, and figure it out. It's a great place to explore uh, if you are a little bit stuck spiritually. You can check it out Tuesday nights, 6.30. There's a, meet, there's a check it out dinner this week. If you are a woman, you could check it out on Wednesday mornings. And if you are a teenager, you could check out uh, Teen Alpha when they meet as well. Information in the bulletin and, and contact. But the reason why I love Alpha is because it's one way, not the only way, but it is one way where people explore faith in Jesus. They come to faith and there's a miracle that happens. Not everybody. Some people explore and they, um, they don't have faith, but... Some people do, and I love that. It makes me excited. So this morning, I want to look at three beautiful reminders from this account in Scripture. Three beautiful reminders about what is going on when people come to faith. Three reminders about coming to faith in Jesus uh, that we can celebrate together. If you're a believer this morning, you have faith. Again, my hope is that you'll be celebrating the miracle of your own life. Also knowing, as Brian preached last week, that as we have faith, God has also invited us to be part of other people's faith journeys, which is exciting to walk alongside people. So that's my hope for you this morning, that you would actually catch some of that excitement. This morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're just sort of, if you're not sure, or you're just exploring, I want you to consider, perhaps, if hearing what you'll hear this morning, if you're willing to take a next step to explore, just a next step to try to understand, to try to connect, and, and just see what it's all about. And uh, maybe read the Bible, maybe visit Alpha, maybe continue coming to church, but whatever that next step is that you might take that. So that's my hope this morning for everybody in this room. I want to pray as we uh, jump into it. So Father God, we thank you that you are our God who is great and good and loving, and your love extends even to us who don't deserve it. Yet you desire to make yourself known to us. You desire to let your heart be known to us. And I pray in this time that we would hear your voice and respond to it well. This time is yours, Lord. We give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Uh, Three things, three reminders about coming to faith. The first reminder is this. God is in control. God is in control. You see God's work all over this account. In verse 26, we have an angel that goes to Philip and tells him to go south down that particular road. Then in verse 29, the Holy Spirit himself tells Philip to go alongside the chariot. Uh, In verse 39, the Spirit takes Philip away from the place. And I don't know if it it doesn't say how that happened, if he just went away or walked away or or how the Spirit got him away. But it's... The point is, God's, this is God in control of this whole situation. And look at how far God goes to make this happen. That one single soul, one individual man would come to faith in Jesus. God uses all these things. And he's, you know, the Spirit telling Philip, Philip, go over to that chariot and stay near it. Why do you have to stay near a chariot? Because they move. Otherwise, said, go to the chariot. So now we have a chariot that's rolling down the street. So, Philip, go to the chariot and stick with it. So now you got Philip running. The Spirit just told him to go. So he's running alongside and he's listening in. And here's this guy who's reading the Bible. He's reading a scroll, Isaiah, the Hebrew Scriptures. And he's got his own Isaiah scroll. And, and then Peter's running alongside. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? God went to this great length. Two men who should in no way be 
How would they possibly connect? We have a man probably from from North Africa, a black African who had been um, sexually altered. He was wealthy. He had his own chariot. He had his own scrolls. He um, he's out of the country. He's the CFO. He's now he's interacting with you know a middle class Jewish man who was a follower of this new movement of following Jesus as the as the Messiah. I mean, they, these people are so different, yet God is in control and brings them together. We always need to remember God is in control. If you think about your story. If you're a person of faith, and you reflect on how you came to faith, you're going to remember that God brought people into your path, that God was pursuing you, that God was pulling on your heart. I was, I, somebody used that exact language with me a couple weeks ago. He said, God's been tugging at my heart, and then I just happened across this group of Christians, and it was, he, he had a deep sense that God was drawing him to connect with these people so that he could grow in his faith. Some people are just curious about faith, and they start reading the scriptures. As this man, you know, reading the scrolls of Isaiah, they start reading and they realize, as they read scripture, who Jesus is. And, and God brings people and situations and just the right scriptures in. God is in control. Well, why does that really matter? Why is that important? Primarily, it's important because God is real. He's act- the God of the universe is active in the world. He's active in our lives. Christianity is not just, um, it's not just a way to live. It's not just morality. It's not just a religious path. It's about an encounter with the God of the universe. It's about finding the God of the universe and really being found by the God of the universe who loves you enough to pursue you and to put people and to put his word and to put all these things in your path that you might come to know him. The other reason it's important is it takes the pressure off. Again, as as we walk alongside people who are on their spiritual journey, people who are uh, seeking to understand God and and faith, you you can't make someone a Christian. You cannot change a heart. Only God can change a heart because God is in control. So we pray for people. We invite them. We invite them to church. We invite them to things like Alpha. The pressure's off. It's not your job to get them there. It's not your job to change them. It's, 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 it's our privilege to be part of what God is doing, but he's the one in control. And we accept that invitation and we walk alongside people without the pressure. God is in control. That's a great reminder for us this morning. Second reminder from this account here, from this man coming to faith. So God is in control. The second reminder is that people need the Christian community to understand, to understand God, to understand his word. People need Christians. You know, here's here's Philip running alongside the chariot, you know, and he hears Isaiah being read. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? This man says, unless someone explains it to me. How can I understand? I do not understand. So he invited Philip. And it wasn't until verse 31 that, you know, Philip running along said, hey, actually, why don't you come and sit with me in this chair and help me to understand this? Again, this is why I love Alpha. 
It's a place where we sit next to each other, we have food together, and we just explore together. We walk with one another. What do you believe about this? What do you believe? How do we understand this? How can we understand together? We live in a This is important. Because we live in a culture and in a place in, in the United States, in New England right now, 2017, that says faith is a private matter that you pursue privately and you just do that on your own and please don't interact that with anybody else. Certainly not in work in school or in public, but you know, just do that on your own. But that's not God's design. God's design is that he puts people in each other's lives, that we can walk with each other and discuss these things together and have spiritual conversation. And it's it's particularly important here and now. And as I've been talking about over the last number of weeks, I visited China last month, and I learned a lot. I talked to church leaders there about what they're doing and what's working. The uh, The Christian church is growing quickly and tremendously in China. And I want to introduce you to somebody. I got a, a picture here of this guy in the center. That's me on the left. And there's um, my friend David, who was part of our team on the right. In the center, I'm going to call him Brother Joe. So Brother Joe is a church leader. He's not the head pastor, but he's on the staff at a, a church in a, a city in China. I don't want to say the name of the city. but So he's doing ministry there. And we went to this church to worship. And I didn't understand one word, not one Chinese word. The whole thing in Chinese, everybody speaking Chinese, greeting me in Chinese. I don't know any Chinese. And I tried to learn a little bit before I left. Not a word. So I could say, oh, anyway, I won't even say it. I know there's some native speakers. I'm not even going to try. Um, this, this man, uh, after the service, greeted us in speaking perfect English. But he was speaking perfect English with a thick Scottish brogue. And it was the craziest thing. I mean, like, I didn't know you could you would speak English, and then now you're speaking in Scottish English, and it's really cool. Um, so it turns out, Brother Joe was born in Scotland to a Chinese family, an immigrant family. They worshipped at a, a Christian church of Chinese immigrants in Scotland, and they were connected to believers in China, and they sent him as a missionary, essentially, to go to China to support this church plant that's in the city and growing quite quickly. And we said, Brother Joe, what's, what's working here in China? And he said, this is exciting. We, we focus on preaching the word of God. We focus on the Bible. We proclaim it. People come. They explore. They find Jesus. They come to faith in him. And then they invite their coworkers and their family members and their friends. And they come to church. And they hear the word. And they come to faith. And it's, just, it's growing so fast. And it's great. We said, Brother Joe, that's fantastic. How come that works in China and that doesn't work in Scotland? Because the church in Scotland is not doing great, right? And he said, oh, that's easy. He he said, it's the difference between a pre-Christian context and a post-Christian context. And what he meant is is this, that in China, it's um, children are raised. It's against the law to evangelize or share faith with somebody under the age of 18. It's illegal. So even churches aren't allowed to have Sunday school. They have, I mean, there's things they do, but it's not legal. And they are taught in schools that there is no God. Systematically taught that. That religion is, you know, as Marxism teaches, is the opiate of the masses. It's not necessary. We have science. We have uh, a community. Uh, you know, we have our country, but we don't need God. That's just something that people use to make themselves feel better. But we've, you know, we're more enlightened than that, and there is no God. But these young people know they're being lied to. They know it's not true. They know there's a God. There's something deep inside the human soul, as Scripture says. 
eternity is set in the hearts of all mankind. They know there's a God. So when they get opportunities to meet people of faith, they're very curious. Therefore, in China, uh, somebody, a Christian could go to work and tell a coworker, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Would you like to study the Bible with me? The non-Christian coworker says, yeah, absolutely. That's so fascinating. I'm fascinated with Western culture. I'm fascinated with um, spirituality and with Jesus. I'd love to study the Bible with you. And that person loves studying the Bible, and they invite, so this is the non-Christian, invites another non-Christian, hey, there's a book study at lunchtime, come. And all the non-Christians love it because it's so interesting. And they search scripture, they meet Jesus, they come to faith, and they're a miracle. They go from death to life, and they experience him. And so Brother Joe said, that doesn't work in places where people think they know the gospel, they think they already know the Bible, they think Jesus has already kind of come and gone. So it's therefore post-Christian. And they see it in Scotland. So people, when you, so if you are in Scotland and you go to your place of work and say, hey, would you like to study the Bible with me? The coworker says, that's, why? What's the point? I don't want anything to do with Christianity. First of all, Christianity is not only is it not good and helpful, but it's hateful and harmful and unenlightened and untrue. And it's just, it does not have the answers. Now that person in Scotland still has a deep spiritual hunger, but they're convinced that it has nothing to do with Jesus. And they dismiss it. We live in an increasingly post-Christian place in New England. And I, there's some research I want to show you. This is the Barna Group. There's a quote here. This is 2017 research. The Barna Group surveys people about their beliefs and their, they do demographic studies. A lot of, they work with a lot of data and research. So this is the you can search Barna Cities 2017 on Google, and it'll, you can read the whole article. But basically, they said, it comes as no surprise the influence of Christianity in the United States is waning. Rates of church attendance, religious affiliation, belief in God, prayer, Bible reading have been dropping for decades. By consequence, the role of religion in public life is slowly diminishing. Church no longer functions with the cultural authority it had in times past. These are unique days for the church in America as it learns what it means to flourish in a new post-Christian era. That's what we're talking about. So Barna doesn't say, are you a Christian or not? Because people check Christian because they know they're not a Buddhist or a Muslim. or they're not, they, they just check Christian. But they ask questions like, have you attended church in the last year? Have you, do you ever read your Bible? Do you, uh, you know, give money to a religious organization? They, you know, things that would be indicative of an active faith. And they're realizing how post-Christian. And they took... 100 metropolitan areas in the United States, and they rank them according to how post-Christian they are. And I'll give you some of these results. Ready? The number one most post-Christian metropolitan area in the United States is, number one, the Portland-Auburn, Maine area. 57% post-Christian. Okay, that's the number one most, you know, people are, are done with Christianity, and it's a thing of the past. Number two is... The region represented by Boston, Massachusetts to Manchester, New Hampshire, number two out of 100. That's 56% post-Christian. Now, just for a geographic perspective, I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, there's Manchester, New Hampshire in the north, and there's Boston, Massachusetts to the south. And that red thing in the middle, you know what that is? That's Andover. That's us. We're in the dead center of this region, which is the second most post-Christian region in our nation. Okay, that's us. That's where God has called us to live and be. Just saying. Next one. Number three, Albany, Schenectady, Troy, New York. Okay, northeast, not New England, but 
All right, number four, Providence, Rhode Island, New Bedford, Massachusetts. Welcome back to the, um, to the Bay State here. All right, number four. Number five, Burlington, Vermont, Plattsburgh, New York. Number six, Hartford, New Haven, Connecticut. Is anybody seeing a pattern here? Any geography experts out there? This is New England and Northeast, isn't it? Number seven, New York, New York. Okay, Northeast still. Number eight, finally, San Francisco, Oakland, Bay Area. Okay, so we've got some friends on the West Coast. Number nine is uh, Seattle, Washington, of course. And then number 10, oh, back to the Northeast, Buffalo, New York. So uh, the next slide, you don't need to read this, but basically they rank the 100 top, the 100 metro metropolitan areas by how post-Christian they are. But look at the top. So of the top 10, eight of them are in the Northeast. Most of them are in New England. And the top 10 are all 50% or more post-Christian. That means the scale is tipped. That the influence of Christianity and people's understanding of Christianity is past. They don't know it anymore. It just doesn't have the influence. Other parts of the country, you know, it's 30, 40%. It's increasing, but it's still, Christianity has a more of an influence. That's why when people move to New England, they're like, where's the Christian? You know, but this is over 50%. So it's just, okay, you can um, go blank on that. We have a, yeah. So... The point is this. That could be discouraging to people. I think that's exciting. Because God has called us here, in this place, in this time, to be his light, to walk alongside people. People reject. They think they've rejected Christianity. They really haven't. They ha certainly haven't rejected the real Jesus. They haven't rejected the real gospel. They don't know what the gospel, the word gospel means good news. People don't know what the good news of Jesus is. You say, hey, would you study the Bible with me? No, I'm done with that. You're done with that? Have you ever read the Gospel of John? Have you ever read the book of Acts? Have you ever read a book of the Bible? Well, no. Well, then why are you done with it? You've never even read it. But we have to break, there's no curiosity, though. And people are rejecting it as hateful and evil. And we have to break through that. And God needs to break through that. And we are invited to walk alongside people, but they need us to help understand. Because what they're rejecting is not Jesus. It's some caricature. They're not rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting some other re religious form. They don't understand. We need, they need help. So here we have this man, and I'm just, I'm just, it's piercing his words when he says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? That's God's invitation to us. So first reminder is God's in control. Second reminder is people need Christians to walk alongside them, to run alongside their chariots, you know, so to speak. Third reminder, last one. As people come to faith, we're reminded Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Why is this Ethiopian leader official in heading home from the temple? A thousand miles away from his home, in, on a very dangerous road, he could, why go to the temple? He, he's, he's at the top. You know, he, he had to make a tough decision. Hey, you're, you know, do you want all this authority over all the riches of this kingdom and, and, and be with the queen and the royal family? You know, he was at the top. He had all the power and all the money. Why is he searching? Why is he going thousands of miles to find something? It's because... There was a void. There was a spiritual hunger. Perhaps the God of Israel. Perhaps there is hope in the God of Israel. And he's been to the temple because he's heading the other way now. But what would happen when a foreigner and a eunuch would go to the temple? 
A foreigner and a eunuch go to the temple, and the law of God is against that man. He could not enter the temple courts. He had to stay on the outer court. And on the outer court in a section that was for people who were um, sexually disfigured, people who were eunuchs. He couldn't enter into the temple. He was rejected and betrayed. And on the ride home, so he'd gone this great distance with a spiritual hunger. He gets denied the one God who he thought would welcome him in. Just, it's, it wasn't the answer. And he's just rereading this scroll of Isaiah. And he's in Isaiah chapter in the 50s in his scroll. And he's reading Isaiah 53. And just wondering, what is this? What happened? I thought there was hope for me. Because he's reading in the Isaiah 50s, if you scroll over, or I guess Hebrew, you scroll to the left. Scroll left, Isaiah chapter 56 says this. We've got this one on the screen. It says, let no foreigner, here's a foreigner, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Yet this man went and was excluded. Let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give him an everlasting name that will never be cut off. A eunuch with a name that's better than a son or daughter that God is welcoming into his temple, into his home. And he's, he's reading these words and just scrolling and trying to understand how did I... Just so let down. And how can a eunuch have a name in a culture... Where to have a name means the only way to have a famous name is to have a famous family with offspring. And he was a dry tree. He was unfruitful. He had made that decision. How could he possibly have a name? And he's reading, though, there's, there's, there's someone else. Who's this mysterious one who carried our sins and our sorrows and our infirmities? He was like one stricken by God. By his wounds we are healed, like a lamb led to slaughter. Who is this? And in his despair, up comes Ronan Philip. Hey, you understand what you're reading? He said, no, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? Who is this? Is the prophet talking about himself, or is he talking about some, is there someone else out there? And Philip says, oh, oh, it's someone else, and I want to introduce you to him. Let me tell you, let me tell you about who that is. It's Jesus. Let me tell you a story about how God created the world in love and created all people to be uh, in his image and to relate with God perfectly, but, but we've rebelled. Every one of us, me and you and, and, and everybody you've passed on this road has rebelled against God in sin. And that leaves us in death and darkness. But there's one who came. His name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He came to restore this perfect creation that God made. And he, he came to pay the penalty. He was like a sheep led to the slaughter. And by his wounds, we can all be healed in a right relationship with God. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And you have that longing. You know you're in a broken relationship with God. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will heal you. You can be whole. And you will have a name that's greater than any name. You will be part of a family that is so big and beautiful. You have a new name, a new identity in Jesus. Jesus. And this man puts his faith in Jesus and he is baptized into the name of Jesus. 
Jesus was the answer to the spiritual longing in this man's life. We live in a world where people are so broken. They're wealthy, they're powerful, but there's a spiritual hunger, and Jesus is the answer. How about you? Would you be willing to take some time to explore that? To read in your Bible, to to walk with a small group or an alpha group, or just to, to take a next step. For you who have experienced and know Jesus as your answer, would you follow God's prompting? God's in control. Would you walk alongside people? How is God inviting you to walk alongside people? They need you so bad. And would you point them to Jesus, the answer they need? Amen.